Hey guys, welcome to the Columbia View Church podcast. We're excited to share God's word with you. If you'd like to get more connected here at Columbia View Church, please visit our website at www.columbiaview.org. Our Sunday morning worship time is 10 a.m. We are meeting on site now and following the social distancing guidelines put forth by our state. And we love the opportunity to, to meet you in person, and we hope that you are blessed by this word today. Is that where the presence of God is, there is, there is hope. I have a tail right now. Let me make this tail go away. Thank you for being gracious with us. And so I want to start just with a simple question for us today. Think about a place, a situation, a circumstance in your life that was just really, really, really chaotic. The word is chaotic. So some of you guys are thinking like, dude, my morning just trying to like get here felt a little chaotic. But as I was thinking about this question, it reminded me of a couple years ago going to one of those crazy Black Friday sales. Raise your hand if you've ever done that sort of thing, the Black Friday sale. And so I was all pumped, right, because we just bought our new home, and it was our first Christmas. And what do you got to buy for your new home on your first Christmas? Christmas lights, correct. You are all hanging with me. This is beautiful. And so Lowe's had this amazing deal where you could get these lights for this super, super duper cheap, right? And so I remember getting the strategy. I'm like, all right, I got this. I'm going to get up at 3.30 in the morning. I'm going to drive over to Lowe's, and I'm going to get me some Christmas lights, right? And so I get there, and I kid you not, we arrive at like 4 in the morning, and the line was already probably 100 people deep. And I was like, I've seen this on the news, but like, this is insane, right? And as soon as like 4.30 or whenever the doors open hit, bang, it was like this rush of people running straight for what? The Christmas lights, because everyone was thinking like me, and they're like, we want to get some really cool lights for super cheap. And it just, it just felt really chaotic. Like, I'm trying to get my basket, like, through the aisle, and there's all these people. And I'm trying to be, like, somewhat courteous, not, like, running into people, right? But it was just it was a little bit crazy and a little bit chaotic. And this picture, in a lot of ways, is really kind of like just a microcosm of a lot of crazy and a lot of chaos that's happening around the world, in our city, even in our own lives. And so, by way of simplicity, the, the teaching theme today, the hope today, is that in Jesus, he brings calm to the chaos. He brings calm to the chaos. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the, the weeks and the days leading up to our main teaching text today, which is going to be um, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, the story of, of Jesus and the disciples on, on the boat at sea when it gets really, really crazy and the storm comes in. And so leading up to that moment, the first four chapters of Mark's gospel really lays out something that we all can relate to. And that is getting familiar with following Jesus. Because even for the disciples, it didn't come naturally. It didn't happen overnight. It took time and it took relationship and continual being with Jesus for them to learn and to grow what it meant to make him Lord of their life. And so they personally experienced that he had a unique authority when he taught, like, like when he spoke, 
People listen differently than when the religious leaders and those of what was the religious establishment of his time spoke. There was something different about him. They witnessed uh, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. They witnessed leprosy and paralysis being healed. They saw firsthand, wow, this Jesus guy, he has a unique power and authority to do things that we've never seen before. What's more, Jesus, he was a very controversial character when you read in the Gospels. People either really loved him and admired him, or they really hated and despised him. There was really no gray area with Jesus. And Jesus was known for being a friend of sinners and hanging out with and having dinner with all the quote-unquote wrong people. And so his disciples, they're witnessing this. They're seeing this. And Jesus, he has a run-in with religious leaders on the topic of, of fasting and Sabbath. And they recognize that, wow, Jesus isn't opposing or deconstructing these things, but he's redefining them. He's giving new life and new spirit to them. And his disciples in the early parts of Mark's gospel, they're starting to learn that Jesus both has the power over creation and compassion for the broken. And maybe some of us here this morning, we just need to really hear that. Jesus has compassion for the broken. You look at so much of the gospel accounts of the people that Jesus hung out with. It was people who were hurting. It was people who were broken. It was people who, because of the circumstances and the things of life, it broke them and it generated a humility that led them towards repentance and towards faith and towards pursuing Jesus. Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. By chapter 3 in Mark's gospel, we see that there's large groups of people. They're, they're very curious about Jesus. Like, like, when you hear word about these miraculous healings and things taking place, like, I, I kind of want to show up and see what this is about firsthand, right? And so large groups are, they're taking an interest in Jesus. But Jesus took time and intentionality to invite and invest in but 12 people, 12 people that he would later appoint as apostles. And they would be, and this is what Jesus says, he says that they would be with him, that they would preach the good news, and that they would cast out demons. You see, Jesus, he values intimacy over popularity. He values depth over breadth, and he values doing that flows from being. And the very, very first call to the disciples was not a call to do things for Jesus. It was a call to belong to Jesus, a call to be with Jesus. And that took time to learn. Later on in Mark's gospel, Jesus is accused by the religious leaders of getting his power from Satan. They saw what he was doing, and they're like, man, you must get that from Satan. But then Jesus reminds them that if Satan drives out Satan, like, how can a divided house stand? And he goes on to clarify that his family is determined not primarily by bloodline, but by doing God's will. And what an encouragement for us to hear today that to be part of Jesus' family, to be part of the kingdom of God, it don't matter who's in my family line or who's in my bones, so to speak. It matters who I invite into my heart. 
And for the disciples, they started to learn and they were learning and growing in this new rabbi, this new teacher who taught with unique authority, who did healings, who had compassion for people that others did not. And they started to learn little by little what it looked like and meant to follow him. This leads this to the, the fact that belonging with Jesus has nothing to do with who's in your bones, but who's in your heart. Chapter four, Jesus lays down three parables. And a parable is basically a story that is very commonly understood by people that has underneath it different layers of meaning. And, and Jesus often taught in parables because he really liked to get people thinking. He really liked to get people curious about the words he was saying, that they would ponder it and meditate it on it and, and reflect on it. This is one of the reasons why, why the, the Christian practice of, of contemplation and reflection and meditation really matters because the, the words of Scripture are so deep and rich that it takes literally a lifetime just to start to tap into below the surface of what God wants to say to us and how he wants to encourage us and lead us and guide us. And so each of these, these parables, he, he shares from a boat. So what had happened is a bunch of people, again, they're becoming curious about him. They gather along the shoreline, the sea right there, and he gets into a boat. And this was kind of like the historic way of creating amplification. Because if you've ever been on a boat over water, or if you've like ever been like in an inner tube, like I remember being out at Lost Lake a couple summers ago out in an inner tube, like from here to probably Halsey Street of a friend of mine, and we were having a conversation just talking normal, because water has this effect that when sound hits it, it bounces off of it, right? And so Jesus leverages that, goes out on a boat, and he lays down these, these teachings, and each one of these teachings, these three teachings, are showing a different aspect of his kingdom, of the kingdom of God that he has come bringing. And so the first teaching is, of course, of the four soils, and, and this teaching has to do with different responses people are going to have to Jesus. Different responses that people have to Jesus and to the word of God. And it all depends on the heart. There's those who are calloused and hard. There's those who are cluttered with busyness and in worries of life. There's those who are shallow. And then there's those that have good soil of their heart. And Jesus' point there is, the word of God is going out. And if there's ever been a moment in history where access to the word has been quite increased, it is now. There's definitely population gaps where we're trying to get the word of God too. Milt Jones, one of the missionaries of our church that we support and sponsor through Wycliffe, you can go to our website to find out more about him. He's doing some of that cutting edge translation work. But the reality is the word of God and the power of it will only be experienced by myself if I'm open to it, if I have a softness to it. The soil of our hearts matter. The second parable he lays out is that of the growing seed. And you see, seed that's scattered broadly will sprout broadly. And the seed will do what it's going to do. It's going to grow. But again, the condition of the soil really matters in how well that soil or that seed grows. And then the third parable is the parable of the mustard seed. And Jesus is basically laying out, hey, a really, really tiny seed that is a mustard seed 
can grow to become one of the largest trees on planet Earth. And it's this reminder that the miracle of seeds sprouting is not the size of it, but the potential God has built into it. And how symbolic that is of our lives. We might look at our lives and say, man, I don't know that I can really accomplish that much. I'm just kind of ordinary Joe Blow or whatever. And I think Jesus in that teaching would just encourage you to say, it's not the size of the seed or the size of your influence or how you view yourself that matters. It's the potential that I've placed in it. And each person, God has so endowed with incredible potential to both experience him and know him and advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. There's an article I came across. This just blew my mind. But there's 2,000-year-old date seeds that are sprouting and bearing fruit. Did you hear me? Seeds that they're uncovering in catacombs and tombs and such from dating 2,000 years ago. And, and scientists or anthropologists or archaeologists, whoever's digging these up, they're planting them in soil. And those mugs are sprouting. What? 2,000 years ago. And they're sprouting. It's miraculous. And I think it's prophetic to say that if you feel like you're just an old, withered up seed, that has no life in you. God's a God that breathes life into dead things. God is a God that takes something that is old and shriveled up and he makes it new. He does it through his spirit. He does it through his word. He does it through Christian community. He does it just in miraculous ways that's totally outside of anything we could ever control or do. Right? It was amazing having Randall with us and hearing some of the things that God is doing in Africa. And even in our work with Immigrant Connection, we meet with people from around the world and what God is doing in the Muslim community. Oh my goodness. God is breathing new life into old dead things. And so by way of encouragement to us today who are here, you might just kind of feel like that shriveled up seed. Be encouraged that God has endowed you with so much potential for life and growth through Jesus. Because that's the crux of this whole thing, isn't it? Jesus is the one who came, who lived, who died, who conquered the grave. He is the first fruits of resurrection, so we should look to him for life. And so Jesus lays out that teaching, and his disciples are starting to learn that following Jesus really has two significant elements to it. Story and experience. Story and and experience. And the hope for us today is that Jesus continues to use stories and experience to both teach us and shape us. You see, up to this point, the disciples, they've not really been in a situation that really required a ton of faith. Yet, most of their witnessing and following and being with Jesus had just been observing him doing his thing. They had a little bit of responsibility and some things to do, but they've not really been in a situation that required a ton of faith. Their faith, for the most part, in Jesus had been quite manageable on their own. And I wonder today, the question for us would be something like, has your following Jesus, has your faith in Jesus, we're all on a journey to, in growth and grace, has it required some significant steps of faith and risk or has it been mostly manageable on your own? 
I think this is a very important question because we live in a culture where I think often our vision for the Christian faith has been shaped more by Western culture's idolization of comfort, ease, and pleasure. And at some point, we find out in our journey with Jesus that his vision for our faith involves us getting into a boat in the middle of the night to paddle out into what is going to become a chaotic storm of crazy chaos where the only way out alive is him. And the invitation there is to trust Jesus to calm the storm. But you have to be in a storm to experience the calm of God in the storm. So think in your life. What is the storm of your life right now? What are the storms of your life? Life is so interconnected, isn't it? One thing blows up, it affects another, it affects another. Some, some people in the room today, maybe like, like, if you're just really honest, you would say, dude, my whole life just feels like chaos right now. And that's okay. And I'm so glad you're here. Because our prayer is that you would meet and continue to seek and to lean into the God of all creation who has both the power and the willingness to bring calm to the chaos. What if you were to view your storm as the greatest gift that God had actually given you? Because it was precisely that storm that actually drove you to pursue Jesus, to shake him up as it were, and to bring him into your space of fear, anxiety, and despair. What if you started to see your storm not as a problem to solve, but an opportunity to grow? A chance to know Jesus in a way that you never managed possible. Because I think that's what Jesus likes to do. He likes to allow us and even sometimes cause us to get into a situation that is chaotic so that we can experience him as the peace that we need, the calm that we need, and to heighten and grow a dependence and a trust in our hearts that wasn't there before. And this leads us now to our passage this morning. Jesus just wrapped up that full day of teaching. We just talked about the three parables on the boat with the crowd. He invites his disciples into the boat and they start moving across the sea. Verse 35 of chapter 4. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Just a couple initial observations I want to make here in this passage. Number one, it was Jesus' idea to cross the lake at nighttime. It was his idea. I also want to observe that Jesus went into the boat and went with them. Jesus was with the disciples in the boat when they launched off into the night. 
And it was sometime after that launch out there in the middle of the, of, of the lake there that the storm developed. And you just think of that image, think of that, that situation. And it really kind of leads me to wonder, like, like, have you ever had an experience when you took a significant step of faith in following Jesus and trusting God only to shortly after find out things got really, really hard? Because I think when that happens, sometimes we get really kind of frustrated and almost like disenfranchised. Like, wait a second, I thought, I thought like following God was supposed to make this thing easier. Like, not problem free, but like, holy smokes. The moment I really started getting serious about my faith and following Jesus, things started getting really hard. There was a death in the family. There was a lost job. There was a relationship that ended. There was a car accident. There was, I mean, fill in the blank of possibilities, right? And I think what happens, guys, is in those moments, there's the temptation just to jump ship. Like, forget this thing. Forget, forget the Christian faith. Forget Jesus. This is making it harder, actually, than the way I was living before, right? The temptation is to jump ship. But Jesus' invitation in that moment is to wait and to watch. To wait and to watch. Because the story goes on, on, verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat. I'm trying to get my clicker going here. Jesus was sleeping. I heard some chuckles out there. He's sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? So Jesus, he gets what it's like to be really, really, really tired, okay? And honestly, part of me, when I read this, I get a little jealous that he's able just to like sleep through a storm because I can't sleep through my one-year-old crying at night. (laughs) And here's Jesus on this little boat getting bashed and battered by waves and he's sleeping. And part of me, I get a little frustrated at Jesus because I'm like, dude, why aren't you up with your disciples helping them man the ship? Like, why are you just taking a schnooze, right? How many times in our life, if we're really honest, we're in the storm, we kind of feel like Jesus is sleeping on the job. Jesus, where are you? You're with me. I get all that, but like, I, I don't see how and where. It kind of feels like you're sleeping. Have you been there before? If you're really honest today. I also wonder in this story, at what point did the disciples wake Jesus up? Think about it. There's 13 of them, okay, the 12 and then Jesus. They're in a little boat in a lake that we know today even that, that very quickly storms can build and become quite dangerous, big waves. At what point did they wake up Jesus? I wonder if it was when they realized that their efforts were no longer sufficing and the situation became unmanageable on their own. I wonder. Read the text. It said that water started coming over the boat into... So I'm almost picturing like, like it was maybe when like the water maybe got up to like their ankles or their shins or their knees that the real fear set in of, oh 
we're going down. It was the moment when they recognized this is no longer manageable on my own. I wonder. And how that speaks to our life today, right? Like that thing in your life that you're trying to control and like figure out and make work on your own. Like at what point is the struggle so significant that it's actually time to, to, to let go of control and trying to, you know, take the water and throw it out of the boat. And it's actually time to go and rouse Jesus and shake him and pursue him and say, Jesus, don't you care? I mean, start where your heart is at, man. Prayer in the simplest form is us simply acknowledging an honesty and openness and vulnerability toward God what is actually happening inside of us. That's prayer, right? Their question makes sense. They ask, do you care? Again, they're getting familiar and used to following Jesus. There is a growth process in learning to trust someone. And they're in that process. And Jesus understands that. Again, Jesus could have picked anybody to be his disciples. And he took time and he, he prayed. He took an entire night to pray before the Father before he picked these guys, ordinary Average Joe dudes that he invited to invest in, to pour into, to be the very people who would be with him, who would preach the good news and drive out demons. He knew what he was doing, but they weren't sure. They felt isolated. They felt abandoned. We're going to drown. They really had no hope. They really had no hope in that moment. Have you ever felt isolated and hopeless? in the chaos of your life. Because just working with people for a long time, a long time, I'm 33, it's not that long, I guess, but long enough to know that, man, one begets the other. In other words, we are most vulnerable when we feel isolated or alone. And hopelessness tends to grow best in the soil of isolation. The opposite's also true. Hopefulness. True hope, in the words of Larry Osborne, holy optimism grows in the soil of belonging, of Christian community. Man, it was so fun. Some of the guys in the church, we got together this week on Thursday, and we uh, just met over here in the dining hall. We threw down some lasagna. I thought that was pretty good. What do you guys think? How was that? Not bad, not bad. They're like, all right, what's next week going to be? You going to one it up? You going to do some like, like B-dubs or something, right? But the beauty of that group was just a bunch of dudes coming together, recognizing that we all want to learn and grow in following Jesus, and we need each other, right? We all, there's this beauty in kind of recognizing we're all kind of broken and messed up in some way, and we're not going to create a culture where we just kind of like, oh, it's okay. Like, we're not going to do that, but we're going to encourage and spur one another on to growth, because I really think that's what Jesus wants in his church. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become more like Jesus. Belong to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Become like Jesus, right? Verse 39, the story goes on. We're going to be wrapping it up here. So when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? 
do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's fascinating. They've already witnessed him do miraculous things like paralyzed people walk and people with leprosy healed. But then this one just like threw them for a loop. And I wonder if a big reason for that is because it directly personally affected them. There's only so much growth we can do watching other people's lives be changed by Jesus. We need Jesus to change our life. And Jesus wants to. And he wants to grow us. And he wants to encourage us and build us and make us more like him. He wants to elevate our faith and hope and love and joy. And words really matter, don't they? Because look at what Jesus said. He just said, silence, be still. A few words. Echoes all the way back to the creation moment where God said, let there be light. Right? Words do things. And though our words don't carry the authority that Jesus himself has, our words do carry authority because Jesus said, go now in my authority to make disciples. All heaven and earth has, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go make disciples. And I wonder if a lot of times we as Christians, we really downplay the authority that Jesus has given us to drive back darkness, to unleash light, to bring peace in what is the ordinary mundane of life because his supernatural empowering spirit is with us to lead us and to guide us and to use us. And for these disciples, there's really, there was two storms at play. There was the literal outside physical storm that was the rain and the wind. But then there was also the internal storm of their own anxiety, their own fear, their own worry about their lives, their own questioning of, can I really trust Jesus? Look what he just got us into, right? And I think we have to ask the question today, like what is the silence and the stillness that Jesus is speaking over the fear and the chaos of your life right now? Like, like if, if you would be in, at a place in, in your heart where in, in your own way, like what the disciples did of going and waking Jesus and, and seeking him and pursuing him, he then comes and rebukes those waves and says, silence, be still. I would be curious that as we have a heart posture of seeking Jesus, what the silence and stillness would be. Would it change the literal physical circumstances of my life? Because that happens sometimes. God does that. He steps in to what is the circumstance of my life, and he changes things. Or perhaps it's he steps into your life, into to your own heart and mind, and he does the stilling and the calming and the quieting there and what is the echo chamber of crazy dialogue within your own brain. I don't know what it is for you today, but the invitation I think that Jesus has for all of us today is seek me. Because when you seek me, you find me. And when you find me, I have not only the power, but the willingness to speak stillness and silence over the chaos and the crazy of life.
So two questions for us in closing. Number one, have you invited Jesus into your boats? Have you invited Jesus into your boat? If that was symbolic language of, of inviting Jesus into your life to be, to be your Lord, to be your Savior, like, like that's the first step. We can't self-help and medicate ourselves towards wholeness and shalom and peace and healing. It starts and ends with Jesus. And when we invite him into our boat, yes, it may lead us out into the waters where there's a crazy chaotic storm, but take courage and heart, church. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with us. And he is both willing and able to calm the crazy. But you have to let him into the boat first. And perhaps today for someone in this room or someone tuning in online, like you're just at the end of your rope. You're just done with the chaos of storms of life. And what an invitation and moment to give your life to Jesus. To say, Jesus, I, I don't even know all of what this means, but I just, I just know I've been trying to do this all on my own. I've been trying to manage what is the water that continues to, to pour over the bow into the boat on my own, and I'm done. Jesus, take control. The second question would be, are you pursuing Jesus? Because just because you're on the boat together doesn't mean you're hanging out together. It was that moment when the disciples went to get Jesus, to engage him, to pursue him. That's when things started to change. And it's true in our lives too. Like it's a two-way street, a relationship with Jesus. Like, like we have to put effort into it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it best when he said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning so we can't earn God's love. We can't earn his grace. But there's absolutely effort that we put into this thing called the Christian life, isn't there? It's one of the reasons why we, 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 we make intentional effort to be here on a Sunday morning. I realize all the other things that you guys could be doing with your time right now. But you have found value to say, being with God's people, being in worship, being under the word, connecting with, with believers, this matters. This is an act of me pursuing Jesus, and I commend you for that. It's becoming more and more a rarity. A recent poll indicates that the average churchgoer goes to church once a month now. That's normal. Normal is once a month. So I look out on this crowd, and I just want to affirm and encourage you guys. You're amazing people that I see such a desire to know Jesus, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus. I just want to affirm that and encourage us, church. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep chasing him. Let's keep pursuing him and seeking him, especially when the times are tough, but at all times. Go and pray with me. Hey, Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Um, man, we, we do. We pray for those who aren't able to be here today, thinking of Jenna, who's, who is sick, and then others who are sick. God, we, we pray your healing touch on them right now. We know you're able to, we know you're willing, and so we ask for it. Jesus, I pray for the church here today, those who are here, those who are tuning in online or being here in person. God, we all have storms that we're going through, and there's so many different layers to that. And it seems like the more responsibility you give us, just the more complex and confusing that, that, that they become. 
And so we just, in this moment, we just surrender to you, Jesus. What is the, the chaos? What is the storm? And we just ask for your help. We ask for your strength. We ask for your patience. We ask for your tenacity. God, I particularly pray for, for those raising young children. That is just such a tough season. It just seems so draining and tiring. But I pray that you would give, give energy, give encouragement to help us to lead our homes both with a compassion of where our children are at, but also with the training and the discipline to move towards growth and towards maturity. I pray that our kids would come to know you at a young age. Help us as parents and grandparents and surrogate parents who are raising these kiddos to give them the best shot at accepting you. And God, you are good. We trust you. We're learning to trust you. And thank you so much for this chance we had to worship today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us. Our passion is to know and share God's heart, and we're so glad that we we're able to do that with you today. If you'd like to visit us in person, please visit our website at www.columbiaview.org for directions. We'll see you next week.